A reading from the second epistle to Timothy, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, His prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know that the one in whom I have put my trust and I am sure that He is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to Him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So for the last couple of weeks, we've encountered some teaching of Jesus that was given to some people that he called lovers of money, or at least that's what Luke called them, right? They were grumbling because of Jesus' teaching about people who were hoarding wealth for themselves. And in the one of them we heard, man, that guy just ended up in bad, dire straits. And Jesus told those parables because some people right there in front of him, love the idea of having money more than they love the idea of suffering for God. And certainly more than they loved God. They were wound up in that. That treasure is what signifies whether or not we are a good person. Now honestly, things haven't changed, right? I mean, the people that people most look up to are the rich people. I saw a little article or a, a statement written by somebody this week who was talking about some folks over on the good side of the lake. 
And about how we all looked up to them because they were the educated, well-informed people. And I'm like, wait, I'm over here. I'm on the Bubba side of the lake, apparently, according to her. What a strange way that we would look at the world and assume that the people who have the most of things are the people who have it right. And Jesus has warned us to those people who were hoarders, to those people, He told, you cannot... Serve both God and mammon. Jesus personalized wealth as a demon. There's a clue for us, right? And suggested to us that it was easy for us to fall into idolatry when we chase after wealth. That wealth can inherit the place of God in our lives. Because he said, you cannot love the one, you cannot serve the one without Hating the other, right? You can't love one without hating the other. You can't serve the one without hating the other. Either you would be devoted to one, he said. Devoted. Bow down to one and hate the other, or you would hate the one and love the other. Got to pick. But there is a good treasure mentioned today. Paul mentions a good treasure here in, this, in the midst of this text that has been mined for some really wonderful sermons. But that good treasure thing gets overlooked sometimes. Sometimes we might look at this and we might just stop at the idea of the promise of life given to us by Christ Jesus. Because the gospel is essentially a promise that though we are in the midst of sin and death, there is life. Every time. Every time we carry someone to the cemetery, we stand at the side of the grave and we say in the midst of life, we are in death. From whom can our help come? And the answer is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We are all in need of a promise of life. Some have come to this for an idea to teach on Mother's Day, right? You've probably heard this text on a Mother's Day before when a preacher has pointed out that Timothy's faith was the result of his mother Eunice's faith and his grandmother Lois's faith. And that's why people continue to be named those names even today. In the case of Eunice, sometimes it's more often a middle name. But people still revere this idea that Paul is presenting forward that Timothy is a product of his family. A product of the faith of his family. And then there's also this idea that we might suffer for the gospel. That one doesn't get preached much. But usually people pick up Paul's answer for that by saying verse 7 and just doing something completely different with it. They'll use it as a way of talking about how they can overcome and be overcomers and get God's blessings and be rich and do all those things that Jesus has just finished preaching against by speaking of the power we have to speak things into being. Um, if you're ever watching TV and somebody starts talking about you being able to speak things into being in your life, change the channel. What Paul is talking about here is the power to overcome suffering for the sake of the gospel. He says we can suffer because we've not been given a spirit of fear. We can live differently. We can live not devoted to money and power, but live devoted to a Christ who was crucified. And the world says that's foolishness, but Paul says we've been given the power to endure. How does he say that? He says, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Or if you remember in the King James, a sound mind. 
a mind that remembers its purpose and will not run away from suffering just because someone decides that it's easier if we don't preach the name of Christ. That it's easier if we let the culture walk away with our witness and claim that Christians are bad people just because a few are bad eggs. If we become encumbered by the thoughts of money and serving money, we forget that we have the power to live without it. We have the power to live without all the pomp and circumstance of this world. We have the power to live without the accolades of our friends and our neighbors. We have the power to suffer for Christ. So if people will cause you to suffer because of your faith, say amen and adopt Paul's thinking here that when we suffer for Christ, we are being faithful to the testimony that Christ has given us because Christ suffered. So he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. See, Paul understands what he's writing to Timothy because he's in jail for his faith. And he knows that this is the end. This is either written directly by Paul or written down by one of his disciples. It was a way of remembering Paul's final words. And Paul's final words are in a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. What happens when people fall in love with money? They become ashamed of a peasant from Galilee named Jesus. They won't speak his name, but rather they say religion is, religion is a private matter. Or they speak his name when they're cussing someone or something. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel. Relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Do you hear that, church? God didn't look down here and say, boy, that David deserves saving. Let me get on that. I shouldn't have waited so long. But rather, God saw in God's own heart a desire to save me. Not because of who I am or what I could be myself, but because of who God is. God has saved us, he says. For a purpose. According to his own grace and purpose. So the testimony that Paul is laying out for Timothy is this. God has saved us. God has called us. God has a grace purpose for us. The same grace purpose that he had for Christ, which is to abolish death and to bring life and immortality to light. Now we can't abolish death, but we know the one who has. And so we are called to not be ashamed of him but bear His testimony into all parts of our life and not let the idolatries of this world get in the way. But to be fixated on the testimony about Christ, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. This is the testimony about our Lord. And this is the good treasure that Paul tells Timothy to guard in his heart. The good treasure that we can store up in ourselves 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Christ has died for us. That Christ has been raised and sin and death are defeated. Why would we need to guard that in ourselves? Because if we're witnessing anything else in our lives, we make Him out to be a liar. We claim the name of Christ and hate others. If we claim the name of Christ and hoard wealth for ourselves and ignore the hurting of others. If we claim the name of Christ and curse others. Then some kind of idolatry has hold of our hearts. So Paul warns this young pastor to remember, to remember, because God has a purpose. God is not yet done saving human beings, or beings as I would prefer to say. God is not yet done saving and calling and sending. But some people don't know. Churches today assume that the whole of America has heard the gospel, but 70% of South Carolinians are unchurched. We would stand and argue that we're a Christian state, a Christian country, but the churches are empty while the football stadiums are full. It's time for the church to take hold of this testimony and be about it. Not our reputation or not what used to be. Not how we used to do things, but engaging the world that is in front of us. Because some people don't know. Some people don't know the good news. Some people haven't heard. Some people still live in darkness, hanging on, waiting for light. They live in death and desiring the good news of some kind of life that might come and sweep them up out of their despair. Some people don't know that Jesus has defeated sin and death. Desiring for something different, they wait and they wait with the great destructive anchors that burden and bear down on the human soul and break it into pieces. They walk around with sin and death hanging around their necks, longing for someone to say something. And yet every day they cross the paths of Christians who have bought the devil's lie that we don't talk about our religion. Oh, church, I wish you would not be polite and talk about it all the time. If your understanding of being a polite person is that you don't talk about religion, please, flush that with everything else you flush. It belongs in the same place. Here we are, people who know the testimony about Christ. And yet some churches are ashamed to share it. God forbid that would ever be us. God forbid that we would ever decide that it's okay for us to sit inside our little bubble and let the world go to hell. We had this testimony in us as a good treasure that we are intended to share with others because some people don't know that Jesus has made the seemingly permanent and impossible to overcome powers of sin and death to be less than the plastic chair that this horse is tied to. Isn't that ridiculous? 
Do you see the problem with this? Are you aware? This horse thinks it can't go anywhere. It thinks it's tied down. I can't move. Somebody, somebody's saying, that's a donkey, preacher. I don't know. I'm a preacher, not a rancher. That's a horse. And he's got a bridle in his mouth. And he's got a rope going to a plastic chair. And he thinks he can't move. That's the world. Chained to sin and death that Jesus has defeated. And you know that. You're another horse who knows that's a flipping plastic chair and he can go anywhere he wants to. But you're standing around watching him tied. Why? I hear the analogy sometimes, well, the church is a thing that has the cure for cancer and won't share it with others. I mean, whatever. This is a better analogy. We know we ain't tied to nothing. We know he can drag that thing down the street, can't he? There's an imperfection in it though, because really what Jesus has done is destroyed sin and death and made them like that plastic chair. And not only did he destroy sin and death and make them useless, because a horse can't sit in a chair, can he? Anybody want to venture a guess? Can a horse sit in a chair? We'll get out early if you play with me, I promise. Can the horse drag that chair anywhere it wants to go? Yes. The chair means nothing. It might as well be nothing. That's the same thing as sin and death for us today. If we will embrace the good treasure that Jesus wants to pour out in us and just live in it and love it and love the idea Jesus died for us and rose for us and gives us life and sin and death are like a plastic chair that hold no power over us, then we can stop wrestling with whether or not we're good persons and rest in the love of God. Do you hear me? You'd have to be death not to, I think. But here's the thing, man. People don't know. And Paul's in prison. And so he reminds this young pastor who's coming in his footsteps of why the story matters. Because the people think they're tied to sin and death, Timothy, but they're not. And you have a good treasure in you. Don't let it get wrinkled up by love of money or love of the world or false teachings. But you stay in the truth that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and sin and death are defeated in church. We need to be in that good news. Oh, but so many people. Lord, help me. I don't know what to do when people say, we just don't know what's happening. We can't attract people to our church. Then stop attracting and go to them. You think the horse is going to figure this out on his own? Let me ask you, if the horse could figure out that it could run off, would it still be there? No. horse needs for somebody to say, hey man, that thing is little and small. It has no real power over your life. You just think it does. You know how sin and death is today? We think it has power over our lives. But honestly, man, it doesn't. If you have Christ, you have eternal life. Paul says, hey man, hold on to this good treasure. Jesus came. Jesus abolished death, Jim. Abolish is a strong word, people. It doesn't mean that Jesus discouraged death. It means Jesus killed it. I hope you know you got something to tell people. 
You have a story to share with the nations as the hymn goes. Oh, but we're not supposed to talk about religion. Whatever. Who are they going to hear this from? When people get upset about prayer not being in schools, what they really want to do is avoid the responsibility of preaching the gospel themselves. When people get mad because a kid can't pray over a microphone at a football game, what they're really mad about is that they know that they should be telling people themselves that we're not tied to that chair anymore. But they want the government in school to do it for us. That's the church's job. Do you hear me, church? It's your job. It's my job. It's our job. We are responsible for the gospel. To tell it. To live it. To love it. And let it fill our hearts. And don't let money and other stuff get in the way. Oh, Timothy says, don't be afraid, man. we got the power of God in us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, of cowardice, but a spirit of power and of self-discipline so we, oh, can share the testimony, the good treasure. He says it in these words. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Oh, church, we must guard this treasure and not let anything in and of the world water it down. You who know Christ are called to love and serve Christ for the grace purpose that Paul names before us today to announce the good news of life. To tell people that they just think they're tied up. But the bridle has been broken. And sin and death are defeated. Amen? I hope you believe that in the depth of your heart that sin and death are defeated. Go tell somebody. Don't let that horse sit there with that chair tied on his neck looking like an idiot. Tell somebody. When you come to this table today, know in your heart that if you come here with faith that Christ can save you, if you come here believing that He gives Himself to us in this meal, as Wesley said in our articles, when we receive these in faith, we receive the broken body and the blood of Christ. You are what you eat. And you leave here the body of Christ to announce the good news and the good treasure. Come in faith, believing that He will use you to tell somebody about the freedom we all have. Amen? Amen.